Good morning, everybody. This is Jack Graham, along with my partner in crime down in Portland, Oregon, John Peterson. For hey, everybody. Of We Talk Photo. And, you know, I've been on the road so uh, long here that it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded a podcast. So I'm quite excited to be back um, doing this kind of thing here today. And <clears throat> to kick things off, we have... A really special person and a really dear friend and a great, great photographer, uh, Ellen Anon. And, you know, um, uh, Ellen, am I pronouncing your name correctly or is it Adam? It's actually Annan. Yeah, I know Ellen. I, I don't know last names. We've known each other for 100 years. And um, I, I, I got to tell you that, um, you know, there are so many really amazing photographers around that uh, are not household names like an Art Wolf or or such and uh, Ellen's work is second to none it's it's an amazing stuff uh, you're going to learn a little bit about Ellen and and how she does what she does and why and all that good stuff Ellen I'm not going to do I'm not going to read off your bio here I, I'm just going to let you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and um, and uh how, how, how you've come to do such great work. <laughs> Thank you, I think, although um, I'm not used to introducing myself so much. But I've always had a camera, first of all, um, as far back as I can remember, like when I was four years old kind of thing, having a camera. So it was always a part of my life. But I became a PhD clinical psychologist in terms of formal education and formal career. So although it was a hobby, although it was an interest, it was definitely just a, a small part of my life for a good chunk of my life. And gosh, I, I, I um, hadn't really planned to get into the story so soon, but, but basically what happened is I was busy being a mom to teenager and pre-teenager uh, pre and doing my psychology stuff. I worked with dysfunctional nuns and priests, and I taught at the um, Penn State Barron, which is the local campus of Penn State. I taught uh, various psychology courses, including intro and feminine psych and developmental psych and such things. And then all of a sudden I broke my foot. And the reason that that's a big deal is that I couldn't get around and into the various buildings because I ended up in a wheelchair. And in those days, buildings didn't have to be barrier free. So I went from this person who was working nonstop and running around being a mother and carting kids as we all do and you know doing all the tasks of being wife, mother, etc., and being psychologist, to all of a sudden sitting there in a wheelchair going, the good news is this is temporary, and now what am I gonna do so I don't get depressed because here I am and there's nothing to do. I mean, it's all I can do to take a shower. You know? <laughs> so it was a huge change. So my solution was that I got the John Shaw uh, tapes that he had made. Do you remember those? You know, I. It was funny. I just found them. Um, they're VHS. They're in my garage. Exactly. 
Exactly. And I think I'm going to have them converted to a, a DVD um, just to have them because um, I've heard John speak a little more energetic than what was on those tapes, but <laughs> the information is amazingly good and it still is valid today. Absolutely. Well, I started listening to those tapes and realizing that when I could stand again, that I wanted to pursue my photography a bit more. And so John's tapes really kind of saved the day for me for that period of time, and they gave me a focus and a direction to go. And then shortly after that, my husband and I enrolled in a photography workshop that was in Pittsburgh, which is only a couple hours from Erie. And that was with Nancy Rotenberg and her husband, Michael Lusbader, who both became friends and mentors and et cetera. You could do a lot worse. <laughs> Precisely. Precisely. So it, it was just extremely fortunate. And one thing led to another. And literally, doors just started opening in the world of photography, one after the other. And I mean, I can go through those if you want, but it's not really that important. And at the same time, when it got to the point where I would have had to make a choice, do photography or be a psychologist, well, I had already stopped teaching, but the uh, work with the nuns and priests, um, they lost the funding for the center that I worked at. And so the decision was made. So I never had to officially decide, well, I guess I won't be a psychologist anymore because I'm not sure I could have done that because I loved it too. But doors had already opened. I was assisting Artie Morris um, leading his workshops and I was a tech editor on- Did your, did your psychologist uh, background help you uh, with Artie? <laughs> well, honestly, it was probably part of the reason that he um, asked me to be there because he was grieving his wife. Yes, exactly. Um, that. Not that long after she had passed, and so my background was indeed helpful. <laughs> he, he, took that, he took that very hard. Yes, yes I he remember, did. Remember that. And, uh, you know, that was a, a major thing for him. So I had skills that were helpful, and he taught me a heck of a lot about photography in the no process. Doubt. No doubt. So, you know, it all worked, but that's what I mean, that doors opened and I started tech editing a Photoshop book for Tim Gray uh, for uh, Cybex Wiley. And then the next thing I knew, I was writing my own series yep. on Photoshop. So literally it was one thing after another, A led to B led to C, and I was extremely fortunate. John, isn't it amazing? We've done these podcasts and... The stories from some of the folks that we've uh, interviewed have been very similar. You know, we, people have gotten into this not by accident, but almost by accident. A little bit almost by accident, but I think a lot of it, too, is paying attention to when opportunities or doors are sort of in front of you. And, and it's being willing to take those steps through those doors to just see what happens. As you, you know. know quite well. Yes, I do. Yeah. I've walked through quite a few doors in the last couple of years, and, and sometimes you just have to take that step and hope for the best and just have faith that it's going to work out. Or that if it's not going to work out, you learn from it and you build on it. Great point, yes. 
Yeah. So, Ellen, um, you know, a lot of your work uh, obviously is focused around landscape and nature and birds, thanks to your your time with Artie. What what is it that draws you to kind of the natural landscapes or the wildlife that you photograph? Well, you know, at some point or other, I had to create an artist statement, which was one of those, oh, my God, what is this? (laughs) What on earth do I say here? So it, it got me thinking about such things. And I realized that what I seek to do is to create images that take me away from the stress of everyday life. What I love particularly about being out in the field is that I'm thinking about photography. I'm not thinking about the four million things going on in the greater world, you know, politics, stress, economic, any of that kind of stuff, or my personal world. I'm just photographing. And that kind of escape is just so helpful. We so, love dogs. Yes, we do. In fact, we might interview the dog. The dog will talk, <laughs> as you hear. Um, so I, I, really, I realize that what I'm seeking to do is to create images that take people away from the stresses of everyday life. They're usually based on nature, not 100% all the time, but something that elicits a feeling um, and something that hopefully at some level is calming. Although I am concerned about the environment and conservation, I'm not a conservation photographer per se, and I don't usually photograph the harsher aspects of life, like on a safari I might take a few pictures of a kill, but that's I'm not really into that. Yeah. That's not what I'm about. Yep, likewise. It's the it's the stress free, calm, happy, serene, those types of words. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. We all need a break sometimes. Yeah, we do. And it, you know the bonus thing about being a photographer is well with that escape while you're out shooting you're you are in that sort of escape mode where you're not thinking about anything else and then when you come back and you get to work with your images you get to go escape again in many ways that's the thing i love is is i can revisit those feelings in that setting so many times even while i'm back home I, I couldn't agree more. When I start working on images, I remember how I felt and sometimes what I was thinking even when I was taking the images. I remember what was going on, what it felt like, the the air temperature, the, the whole thing. It brings it back. Yeah. What's, what's funny is that I just did a talk uh, Saturday in uh, in the Smokies. Ellen, you were there one year. And, uh, and I talked about being an artist rather than a camera owner. And there's a lot of camera owners around and few artists. And it takes a lot to become what I would call an artist. And what's funny about it is someone asked me why I like to photograph. And my answers were really had nothing to do with the photographs. It had to do with being in the places that we get to go and feeling the air and the smells and the, and the sounds and everything. And the images are almost secondary, you know. And, and I think when you can get your head into that you're going to be a better photographer and you've certainly done that and 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 i love what i'm looking at here on your website it's really amazing thank you but i have to tell you that for me 
the images are maybe secondary, but, but just barely because I've noticed a few things. One is if you ask me if I want to go up in a helicopter, I start debating about it in my head. Can I take a camera? If the answer is yes, well then yes, I want to go in the, in the helicopter probably. Will you take the doors off? You'll take the doors off? Then absolutely yes. Can I hang out? What, what, and if the answer is yes, and with my camera, then absolutely. However, if you say to me, do you want to go on a helicopter ride, but no, you're probably going to have a middle seat and you can't take pictures? It's like, well, no, not really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good point. Good point. But, you know, it's it's uh, it's an amazing thing that we're, you know, we're so fortunate to get to go where we go. And and um, sometimes, you know, you you get caught up in having to make X amount of some people want to make X amount of great pictures a day. And that attitude is not going to be conducive to to creativity and becoming an artist. It's uh no. It's uh, crazy. Hey, you know, let's just talk about your influences, Ellen. Um, tell everybody, you know, uh, kind of who, you know, your uh, favorite photographer, Southern me, of course. Um, <laughs> uh, who, who, who your biggest influences were and, and what they meant to you, because I know there's a couple great stories here. Well... I'm fortunate to have made friends and been influenced by a number of fantastic people. And I'm hoping I don't start leaving important people out because, oh, my goodness, <laughs> I hate this guy. Okay, so let, I'm going to try and do this in um, a little bit of order, as, as I remember. I, I mentioned Nancy Rotenberg and Michael Lusbader, and they became friends and mentors both, and we traveled with them. We had a lot of contact with them. Both um, were wonderful photographers. Of course, Nancy has passed, and Michael still is a wonderful photographer and friend. And from there, they had suggested that we take a workshop with Arthur Morris. And as I mentioned, he became an important person in my life that I worked with and became friends with. And for many years. As a matter of fact, he just called me again the other day. Um, it's nice to have long, long-term friendship with some of these people. And, you know, Art has a clear style. He photographs birds, and he has a clear style of um, wanting the light to be directly on the birds, etc. And I realized pretty early on that I was saying, thinking, hmm, but I kind of like the sidelights kind of cool backlight's kind of cool, you know, and I, you know, I was branching out a little bit, and eventually we did separate ways, and um, early on also, I had, Nancy and I actually took a workshop from George Lepp, and George became also a lifelong friend and mentor, um, you know, we converse pretty frequently and he's an amazing person and the technical detail he goes into, his focus stacking his uh, stacking lenses I, I'm still learning from George but then on the other side kind of the 
the other type of influence would probably be Freeman Patterson and his work. Um, Freeman's just an absolutely amazing, amazing person if you've ever met him. Free, uh, and Nancy, I could go on with Freeman for years. I've never met Freeman, but I've read his stuff ad nauseum. And rather than me tell everybody, you know Freeman, you know, well. And, and for those of you folks who don't know Freeman Patterson, get to know Freeman. Check it out, yep. Nancy, yeah. you know, preach about Freeman for us, would you? Freeman, before it was in vogue, before it was popular, Freeman was creating multiple exposures, abstract images, in-camera intentional motion blurs, and images that just absolutely capture the feeling of the moment. For me, I think that that's what's key about his images is that they capture the feeling of the moment. And I suppose that's exactly what I've tried to emulate. And that's what I took away from him. He has lots and lots of books that break this down into components of composition and building blocks from seeing things as rectangles and circles and the impact that they have rather than just as subject matter. And that's really key when you start seeing things as light and dark and shapes rather than I'm photographing this thing, whatever that thing is. It changes how you go about composing it and putting it together. But Freeman is more than all this technical kind of stuff that I learned from him. There are very few people in the world who I think bring out the best in everybody around them that they meet. I mean, I can literally think of only two people I've met that I would say that about, and Freeman is one of them. And uh, it's an extraordinary thing. He just brings out the best, makes you want to do the best you can, and be a nicer person with it. I, it's impressive. So, yeah, I think the world of Freeman. Freeman uh, has had an amazing life. He had major, I think it's liver transplant uh, 15, 16, 17 years ago or so. And he was in a induced coma for a number of weeks, and that was a very life-changing story for him. He's in his early 80s now and loving old age, loving life. And what a fantastic role model. I mean, I hope I yeah. do as well. <laughs> and then, oh, go ahead, Ellen. Sorry. And, and then after that, you know, there were some other people like Tony Sweet, who I know you've had on the show. And Tony's just so creative and always embracing the latest kind of filters or technology out there to help create expressive images. And I think that that's what I'm about, is expressive images. Exactly. Exactly. You could not have said that better. And, you know, Freeman is, uh, again, uh, uh, it's going to be one of the things that I regret the most is I've never really spent any time with him. But he is so, um, oh, I don't know. He's just so much into visual design, you know. Yes. And, and uh you know, he's the ultimate thinking's, thinking man's photographer, and as far as I, as I, as I can tell. And you're so fortunate to be uh, able to do some things with him. Now, you told me you're going to see him 
sooner. Well, and right now, a behind the scenes thing is, let me back up a little bit. One of the things I really enjoy doing is taking workshops periodically. It's, it's wonderful to give workshops and earn a living and earn money, etc. But I also still love learning from other people and paying them just as any other participant. And I recently did that with Harold Davis because I wanted to learn his transparent flower techniques and how he does those things. And like the mandalas with flower petals and such and had a wonderful time. And we, he's also a Photoshop kind of person and we realized that we have a lot in common and we were talking about possibly doing a workshop together. And then we got the bright idea that it would be an incredibly awesome thing if we could do it with Freeman. Now nothing's in stone, we don't have any concrete plans, but we're in the talking stages, the three of us together, to see if we can make something like this happen. Because I think it would be absolutely phenomenal for us, as well as for anybody who comes. Wow. Harold is an amazing photographer. Um, another thinking man's photographer, thinking all the time. It's amazing. I tell you, I, I, I would pay double to go to that, so let me know. I told you to do that. <laughs> let me know. You never know where I'll show up, you know? Man. So it might be a thinking... You and Freeman. Yeah. That's an all-star band. Yeah. So it, it could be fun. I, I'm, we're, I hope it works out. There are a lot of logistical details and things to try and figure out, but it's yeah. even fantastic to even be able to consider doing it. So so are you, do you enjoy um, landscape better than intimate uh, flower photography or, or, or do you look at yourself as kind of a generalist? Well, I don't look at myself as a generalist, but I do look at myself as a, there are a variety of different things that I enjoy doing. So it just depends on the exact situation. I mean, there are times when I enjoy photographing wildlife. I mm. mean, photographing uh, backlit polar bears breathing fire in Svalbard is phenomenal. <laughs> but I do do a, a lot of landscape, and I love that. And I love working um, macro photography and working in close and doing things at home. One of my favorite stories is... Um, there was one year where I was fortunate enough to travel close to the North Pole, to Svalbard, and to Antarctica. And it was also a very cold year here at home, and I had a window that was partially broken, so all these frost patterns occurred each morning. But it was so cold that I literally had to put garbage bags over the window during the day because that much cold air was coming into the room. So I photographed that window each morning because each day it would melt and then each night new patterns would emerge. Well, I got an image into Wildlife Photographer of the Year that was shot in my nightgown barefoot in my family room of that window. But the images from Antarctica and Svalbard 
well, they didn't make it. (laughs) That is amazing. You know, Ellen, what, listening to you talk a little bit about, about your shooting, it, I think the one thing that comes to mind is is shooting what moves you, what you have a reaction to, and where you feel inspired at that particular time. You know, you could be inspired about the polar bears or the flowers or the ice crystals in the window, and it's 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 really being aware and perceptive of, of yourself and where do you feel that sort of inspiration. And it doesn't have to be a particular thing, or it doesn't have to be your subject your chosen subject matter it's shooting whatever inspires you absolutely john i couldn't have said that better and that is so true i don't know if you saw a post i made a couple days ago of ghost leaves in the driveway i was i did i was walking down the driveway to the mailbox and I was bemoaning the fact that the landscapers had come and had cleared away the leaves that had fallen because the day before they were thick and I was loving the crunching and the smell and the feel and the whole nine yards of it and thinking, well, that's kind of bad, too bad. You know, I know it has to be, but oh well. And then I looked down and there are all these shapes in the driveway of where the leaves had been. Hmm. I'm like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> how did they, I don't know how. I literally skipped the mail, went back, got my camera, went out, and there were a couple leaves, so, you know, put them in the appropriate places in the patterns, and I stood there and photographed, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes or so, Mm. kept the mail, and by the time I was inside, it was raining, and it was all gone. Yeah. Ellen, you like to write. Um, I know you've got uh, a number of books that you've done with uh, with Josh. Um, tell us about how you got into the the writing end, and, and especially I think the book that I enjoy the most, and I can tell you a funny story about that book, um, is the See It book. Um, sure. Um, John, I'll tell you this, just really quick. I'm coming out of the airport. I, I, I don't remember where it was, Alan. But we were doing something. It might have been CES. I don't see it. Might have been uh, Tampa. And um, you know, I'm, I'm I have my suitcase that weighed forty nine and a half pounds. And Ellen said, "Let me give you one of my books." I said, "Ellen, I'll buy the book. It's okay. I mean, you know, let's make a living here. Not a problem. I'm going to buy it." She goes, "No, let me give it to you." So she hands me her book. That I think, what did that sell for at the time? About thirty bucks. Four forty. But anyway, yeah. So the the book put my bag overweight, and I paid uh, sixty five dollars to. to, to <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I still have the book, and, and Ellen signed it, so that it makes it worth all. Oh, the, good. All, all, like, <laughs> it's a funny story. To... <laughs> Moral of story: carry books on plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to tell tell everybody about how you got into that. It's a great book, folks. You can still buy it. It's a, it's a wonderful book. Well, the first part of the answer is that I started out as a technical editor, as I mentioned, for Tim Gray's um, Photoshop book and for um, Peter Burian's books. Actually, for Peter Burian's books first. Well, and so I got to know the people at Cybex that way. And 
we started talking and it made sense that there should be a Photoshop book for nature photographers. And, you know, Photoshop books, and that's what we created. And while the first one was done with Tim, then he had his own series. And then so I brought Josh in as my co-author after that. And so we continued and had many iterations of it until they went to the cloud-based service with random times to update, at which point publishers weren't so thrilled about trying to update the books on random schedules. Um, but at the same time, Josh and I had done a lot of teaching and we, you know, we taught a lot of Photoshop, we taught a lot of photography, and we really saw the need to try and help people find their images, to see them. I don't mean find them as in where the heck are they on the computer. I mean, I've got my camera and I see this pretty thing in front of me. How do I make an image that captures it, that communicates it? And it was kind of cool because we were both thinking along the same lines. And when people look at that book, actually, even when I look at it, the first part is very academic, scholarly, um, and people assume that I wrote that since that I'm the PhD clinical psychologist background person. Well, I'm not the one who wrote that. That was all Josh. I'm the one who wrote all the practical stuff about how do you put this into practice, into what does it mean for your pictures. We, we came up with this idea of something called visual intensity. And the idea being, if you think about music or any sensation, there is a level of sound or stimulation that feels good, that you tune into, that you want to hear more of. But if the sound is too quiet and you can't really hear it, eventually you turn away because it's annoying. Or if there's a lot of sound going on at the same time and it's random and you can't make sense of it, then it's just noise and you turn away. And that same thing is true for any type of stimulation, that there's a level that we feel good about and that we tune into and we enjoy, and levels that are too much that we turn away from, and levels that are too low and we turn away from. And that's the foundation principle of visual intensity. So with our images, they have to have enough energy to keep us interested, too much and people turn away. It's just like, it's the, I don't know where to look. This is, you know, like what? Or too little, and you kind of go, eh, that's boring. What's next? So that was kind of the foundation of it. And, you know, I've done a lot of talking on that. And Josh and I are thinking that we may create an ebook that's more practically based now. And, uh, talking about processing your images with visual intensity in mind as well as taking them with visual intensity in mind. It's a great principle, guiding principle, because it says if basically if you've got too much energy, you got to reduce one of the sources, you know, whether it's color or contrast or shapes or, you know, something in there has to decrease. Or if you've got not enough, then something has to increase, like, the contrast, the tonal contrast, perhaps in your subject, and it's all kinds of things like that. I think that's a fascinating concept. <coughs> Excuse me while I cough. 
Um, a fascinating concept because, you know, you, you look at the industry today and you look at a lot of the photo websites and everybody's cranking up the intensity so much that it's gotten to the point where I can't look at a lot of images because they're too intense. It's just too much. It's like cranking up the volume to 11. It's just too much and it's overwhelming for me. And and so that concept of sort of metering your intensity either through composition or through processing to get that right amount of energy in your photograph is is a fascinating one. I really think it is. And I, I think that I, I've got to build on that more because I think that that's one of the things that I have to offer is to help people because some people just see things naturally and just do things very naturally. But for some people, they need some guidelines. And this is the kind of thing that can help with those guidelines a little bit. And oh. it's really fun. So, Ellen, you know, looking at looking at a lot of your images, a couple of the keywords that I wrote down were simplicity and weight. There's there's a we were talking before the show about your style and, and kind of chuckling about how sometimes as photographers, we don't see our own style, but other people do. But but simplicity was one of those words that that really came to mind for me in looking at a lot of your images. Yet, even though the composition itself is fairly simple, that doesn't mean that it's low energy. And so, could you talk about sort of that intensity with your comp and in, in how you choose to compose some of your photographs? Well, I'm a firm believer that something either adds to your image or it takes away from your image. There is nothing that neutral. I mean, another one of the talks I give is um, about backgrounds. And I liken backgrounds to being supporting actors or actresses uh, in a play or a movie or a TV show or characters in a book. That if you only had the main character, it would be boring. You, but you, if you had a dozen characters all competing for attention, it would be like, what? I can't follow this. So my, I think my images seem a little bit more like there like there's a simplicity to them because I try to separate out subject and background and subject isn't always a thing subject can be a feeling or an emotion mm -hmm. which then is a little bit more complicated I mean it can be thing like something like serenity like if it's a motion blur of a beach I'm thinking of an image I took in the photon that's like that um or when I put together recently from the Adirondacks of a, of a sunrise and it's not really the sunrise and it's not really the fog and you know, the, the subject matter is a feeling. So when you have story and you have depth and some things like that, that's why there's energy in there. Even though there might not be a lot of things or stuff, characters running around. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Oh, it does. And, and you know, it, it, simplicity, one way or the other, you know, not writing the encyclopedia or the novel is what makes images just work. Yeah, and the, and the thing that really struck me too, Ellen, which which I want everybody, all of our listeners to sort of ponder a little bit, is the subject can be a feeling, 
That's huge. I mean, that's a that's a huge thing, and it's a complicated thing to try to impart in a two D image that's to somebody else that's viewing it. And so, what do you do technically or compositionally to try to capture and and convey a feeling of being in that spot? And that's that's where the art is. Absolutely, and that's where the processing becomes so important. You know, we live in a fantastic time photographically. Uh, cameras are so advanced and our processing tools are so advanced. You know, the cameras, you can set them up and they can take pictures by themselves. You can motion trip them, you know, etc. Um, and we have all this stuff that can happen by itself. And in some of the processing, they're getting to artificial intelligence processing, which is kind of interesting but that can only be based on thousands of other or millions of other images that they form these algorithms with. What it can't do is capture what you exactly felt and what mm. you are trying to convey and what you want to remember from that moment. So with your processing is where I think that while it, you might start out even with allowing one of those AI sliders to start you, you have to recall, how did you feel? Did, did it feel that strong? Did it, or did it feel more subtle? Did, did, did it feel like softer colors? Did it, did it feel like softer uh, tonal contrast? You know, what did it feel like? And let that guide you. And no algorithm can do that. That's what the person has to do. And that's why photography truly is a two-part process in the world we live in now. Yep. Yep, it very much is. It very much is. Yeah, I, you know, I'm kind of fascinated a little bit by all the AI tools coming out. And I think they're intriguing that what we're able to do in building these tools for us to, to do a one click processing. But, you know, for me, it, it could be a good starting point, but fascination and does not mean that that's what I'm going to use because I don't think my art comes through in letting the computer do the processing for me. It's all about me and how I felt and what I want my viewer to see when they're viewing my images. And so that's, you know, adjusting the tonality, shaping the light as it travels through the image, all of those things. That's not something AI can do for me. Exactly. Exactly. That's where the individual has to shine through. But that's not to say that AI is a bad thing. Mm. In my my opinion, it's a nice thing. It's a tool that makes a lot of images that would be kind of crummy, reasonable to look <laughs> at. And, and, and that's great. You know, and for some people, that's all they're looking for. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. But when you're talking about photography as a fine art, it has to go a few steps beyond that. In my opinion, I totally agree. And maybe more than a few steps, frankly. And a lot of that's done, you know, before you, 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 you process. I think you have to have a concept of what the final image uh, is going to look like that you want it to look like before you take the image because you're going to either maybe expose it differently or do whatever. Um, visualizing or pre-visualizing, whatever you want to call it, in the field, I think is absolutely necessary um, and you've got a great grasp on that I wish everybody had that but 
you know, it's okay. People are growing like crazy. The learning curve is on steroids here with the technology we have. It's 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 kind of disappointing that we're making evaluations on artists based upon sometimes on technology rather than the real skill and the heart and soul that has to be put into photographs these days. I'm quite conflicted about that sometimes. Understandably. But, you know, it's kind of based on what the final product is and who sees it and how things... Some people are just phenomenal marketers, and I'll look at their images and I'll think... I wish I had their marketing skills because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, um, John, we always kind of try to end up these great talks with um, our, our amazing guests with where, th- where, 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 Ellen, where do you think things are going to be in a few years? Are we, are we, uh, are things getting better or worse? Or different. What? Or different. Photographic. So the the industry, the images that are coming out, um, popular view on fine art photography. Take your pick. What alley you want to go down? Well, I think that. Well, let me share what what I hope. I hope that the world gets over needing to take endless selfies, especially where it means trampling nature. One of the most horrific things I saw was the incredible wildflower poppy explosion in Southern California this spring. Mm. And all these people who thought that the world needed, even their world, needed a picture of them standing in and on those wildflowers. There was a sign that said, do not Walk in the wildflowers, you know, no, do not step here, basically. And there was this girl who stepped right past it, stood there and said, I don't know what to do with my body. And I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I looked at her and I said, well, for starters, get it out of the wildflowers. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Spoken like a t- true psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just totally baffled. So I I hope that the world gets beyond that. And in terms, photographically, sure, we're going to have a lot of automated things. We're seeing it in taking the camera, the cameras that can recognize horizons and and which parts of the sky and processing tools that can do most of it for you to at least get you to an acceptable, okay, nice image. I hope that there will still be fine art photographers who take it a step beyond that and photographers, hobbyists, whatever, who take pride in expressing themselves through the media, through the medium, because I think it's a phenomenal way to express yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said, well said. Yeah, you know, um, we had um, a number of other uh, people on in the past few weeks, you know, like Ron Rosenstock and some other folks that we talked to about this. But Ellen, you summed up um, 
those feelings that I think John and I both share amazingly well. And I want to thank you for taking some time to be with us. Uh, let's tell everybody how um, we can find Ellen. Uh, of course, Ellen, you've got your website, which is ellenannon.com. Ellen Annon. A N O N. And I'm on Facebook, and I'm Ellen Annon. Uh, Ellen Annon, who knows what, on Facebook, but I'm there as well. Yeah, and everybody, you know, keep keep watching this Instagram. website and stuff because if this thing comes off with Patterson and and uh, Harold, man, I can't think of uh, that's Murderer's Rose. They used to say back in the days of the Yankees back in the twenties. That's amazing. It'd be amazing. Three people. Hmm. I appreciate that. For what it's worth, I'd really appreciate anybody who wants to follow me on Instagram. That that would be a, a good thing. I am one of the SanDisk Extreme Team members, and so they do take notice of such things. Oh, good. <laughs> so that would be a good thing. And I knew I was going to forget to mention somebody who I needed to mention, and that is a close friend of mine, Art Becker, who has also been an influence on me. Um, ironically, we share a birthday. We're, we're born 10 minutes apart, literally. And he's an extremely talented, very graphic photographer who has one of the best eyes for commercial things that you ever want to see. So, yeah. Yep. I think you nailed it. Um, Ellen, I've got to tell you, we got to figure out a way to, to get, uh, get to see each other. It's been too long, and I love talking to you, and I'm inspired after, after hearing this. I want to. I wish I could, but I want to get out and uh, take a few photographs, even though I just got back from almost 14 weeks in a row. <laughs> Can you believe that? Yeah, but it's whole, it's very different leading workshops and, yeah, and t- doing some photography yourself. That's when you can just unwind and concentrate on what moves you. So I hope you get to do that. Just just getting out is, is for me. It's, I don't actually go out to take photographs specifically, and they happen to happen, but... Um, you know, it's all good. Alan, it's been a pleasure. It's been our pleasure having you here. And we'll get you back. And uh, and I wish you all the success in the world. Thank you so much. And, John, thank you as well. I'm very honored to be part of your podcast. So thank you so much for asking me. Thank you, Ellen, very much. And for those folks listening, if you have any comments or suggestions, uh, don't forget our email, wetalkphoto at gmail.com. And check out Ellen's website. Thanks for listening. And one more thing, John, yeah. we forgot to tell everybody. We will put some show notes up on here. Ellen oh, yeah. doesn't know this yet, but we're gonna we'll put up her contact information and maybe a few images. And um, and please, you know, know know who Ellen is. It's a she's a powerful force in in what we do here these days. So thank you all, and we'll see you next time. All right, bye bye. Thank you all so much. Bye bye.